Welcome to the CHROSA podcast. In this episode, MTN Group CHRO Paul Norman discusses his 27-year journey with the Talco while also sharing his thoughts on how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted their people strategy. This CHRO podcast is sponsored by Workday, a leading provider of enterprise cloud applications for finance and human resources. Founded in 2005, Workday delivers financial management, human capital management, planning, and analytics applications designed for the world's largest companies, educational institutions, and government agencies. Organizations ranging from medium-sized businesses to Fortune 50 enterprises have selected Workday. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinion or position of Workday. Welcome to the CHRO South Africa podcast. My name is Sungolan Kabinde and I am the community manager at CHRO South Africa. Today we have a very special guest. His name is Paul Norman. Paul is the CHRO at MTN Group. He was also declared the 2019 CHRO of the Year at the inaugural CHRO Awards. Now Paul has been with MTN since 1997, which back then was um, an organization with about 400 employees. And the telecommunications industry was really in its infancy at the time. Contrast that with where the organization is today, and MTN is a behemoth on the African continent, operating in over 21 countries in Africa and the Middle East, with over 250 million subscribers and over 19,000 employees. Paul, um, I'd like to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you so much for making the time to chat to us today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you. It's, and thanks for the invite to be here today. Paul, as I mentioned in the intro, you've been with MTN for about 27 years, which is a very long time. What I'd like to know before we really get into the meaty um, content of the discussion today is what does it take to really stay at the top of your game and at the top of an organization like MTN, which has really evolved over that time? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, when I joined MTN it was not, I sort of, I guess I didn't really apply for the job and I wasn't intending to to join MTN at the time. Um, I, I'm a qualified psychologist by profession and I was sort of doing some practice work on the side during that time. And what was happening was that I used to do quite a bit of assessment work for headhunters and things who were placing people, you know. And so um, basically one of the assignments the, this firm had was to place the, the first CHRO for MTN in those days. Um, and I had done some assessments on some candidates. And uh, when I, I normally wrote a report that went in um, to, to deal with those issues. Um, but in this instance, the CEO at the time wanted to speak to me because he wanted some more clarity and color on some of the, on one of the candidates. And when I basically came in to talk to him about that and, uh, we got talking about what the role should be and how well this person was sort of positioned to do it. Um, at the end, he basically said to me, you sound like you know what you're doing and, and what the role should be about. Why don't you come and do it? And that's basically how I joined. And at the time, I thought, well, you know, I'll do it for, uh, in my head, it was no, going to be no more than two, three years because I thought it will be a nice way of exposing myself to this side of things. 
um, and then move on, you know. And and of course, as you rightly said, I'm still here, twenty uh, odd years later. Um, and and I think the reason being, uh, you know, I have had many opportunities to leave in the sense of offers from other places and so on. But uh, one, I think the bug of this place bit me, and not so much, I mean, MTN to an extent, but largely the industry. Um, and if you recall back in 94 when MTN started, um, that was actually the beginning of the mobile industry in South Africa, and in large parts, actually part of even in Africa. So it was very much a burgeoning industry and um, and and uh, in many ways impacting and and bringing a lot of sort of uh, connection to people. You know, I always use the the Nigerian example as an as a point in case in about two thousand and one when MTN got the license there. Um, I think at the time there was about seventy eighty million people Nigerians, and only about six hundred thousand um, fixed lines of which probably at any given time, maybe only half was working. So so if you look at that and then you think of MTN today, just in Nigeria alone, where we have close to 65, 70 million subscribers on its own, you can get to see just the level of, at which this company has driven connection and communication. Um, and of course, now the challenge is uh, the internet, you know, and how we connect people uh, in that sense. So so the the reason I'm still here is that each year this company has grown, it's evolved, it's grown not only in terms of markets and 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 so on, but in terms of what it does. And I mean today all mobile operators are reinventing themselves. And MTN has transitioned into a digital services company, or for want of a better word, probably a platforms based company. Um, and it's got now six, seven, six different revenue streams from, uh, you know, um, infrastructure plays to uh, digital fintech, uh, the data space, the enterprise business space, which is all about cloud computing, all the way through to its original business of voice uh, and so on. So you can see the sort of expansion and the, and the explosion, really, of what it's done. And I think for me, at the heart of it, uh, this company is about changing the quality of and improving the quality in, of the lives of people. And we have this inherent belief that everybody deserves the benefits of a modern connected life. And that's what drives me and gives me purpose. And I guess why the purpose connects with me and the company. And I guess that's why I'm still here, because we are fulfilling on that mandate. And I think a lot of kudos has to go to you as well, Paul, because as the custodian of the people agenda, you've not only had to ensure that the talent within the business matches the evolution of MTN, but you have also had to ensure that your own skills and capabilities have kind of kept pace with this ever-increasing requirement to adapt to an ever-changing environment. How did you manage that? Yeah, so I think for me, it's 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 been very much one of curiosity, you know, uh, constantly being curious, wanting to understand, wanting to be uh, doing things better. I have a saying that says, you know, you, you, what you did last year is not good enough for next year. And by that, I mean, we constantly have to be improving on what we do. So I do a lot of, uh, you know, 
global networking. I look at best practice. I uh, read a lot. I study a lot. Um, uh, and it's all by, you know, to ensure that I, I know what's out there and what's happening. Um, but also for me, it's, it's, it's a deep uh, sort of uh, passion to understand MTN's business more. So, you know, and this is an evolving business. You know, we, we started out as a, as a, a sort of mobile operator uh, delivering voice. Um, and that evolved into some forms of data uh, and all the way through to where today we have, you know, we are platforms business and uh, sort of six different revenue streams from infrastructure to um, digital to uh, mobile financial services to uh, cloud computing, all sorts of things that, that means this business is completely different today than it was then. So, so I, I need to make sure that we are responding and that we are relevant in all of those spaces, which means I need to know about what's happening in that business, but also in my own business of people. Um, and so that's why it's important that we connect and we do that. So I, I do a lot of connections with business schools across the world. In fact, I did my MBA through IMD in Switzerland for that reason, because it was uh, you know, there were 60, 70 different nationalities in the class. The lecturers are all from different parts of the world. And and you build that sense of, of global understanding. But then you've got to make it relevant to the markets that you're in and where you are. And that's where the innovation and, and things come from. So for me, my job is, while in title might sound similar over the years, not one year to the next has been the same. Uh, and the business has evolved and what it is today to five years ago, to 10 years ago, to 20 years ago, it's like you might as well have joined another company. That talks to how the, the culture has to, uh, had to evolve. It talks to how the skill sets have had to evolve uh, and all sorts of things. And, and that's what gets me excited, what gets me up, what keeps me going. And, and it's this, this purpose of wanting to make a difference wanting to be relevant and wanting to make sure that the work that we do ultimately makes MTN more successful. That leads very nicely into my next question, which is about COVID-19 and how it has impacted businesses across the globe. Now, as the, you have had to adapt and get skills to match the ambition of the business and the evolving times, COVID-19 has forced businesses to do the same. And without being able to have employees travel across geographies, I imagine that's been a big challenge for an organization like MTN. The subject of expats, for example, is one I'm particularly curious about because how do you manage the skills transfer that is required when you can't have people physically traveling to new locations? Yeah, so so I mean that's that's one of the key points I think that we you know it works sort of in 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 two directions. So. The one is if you're bringing expats from somewhere else. Now, MTN, in many ways, a lot of our expats are from the countries we operate in. We just, we have a rotational policy of moving people around. So it's not, I mean, we have some people from the States and from Europe and Australia and so forth, but that's a, a small fraction of it. Um, but it does mean that we don't have to bring those people here, but we, it's easier to to connect them with the best brains across the world 
um, and and for them to work with them, develop them, and so on. So there's that new way of doing things because in many ways it's also cheaper for a company like MTN because, you know, if we bring an expat, we have to pay dollars, we have to, uh, you know, provide housing, schooling, uh, transport. It's a very expensive cost. An expat on average costs four, five, six times what a normal local employee would cost. So, so there's a lot of efficiency and saving you can bring from that. Um, and there's a, it opens the world because I can imp, I can buy a particular service from you with without actually bringing you know the whole gig economy where it's becoming a reality and it's real. So so there's that part of it. But I want to just touch on another part of it, which is there's also a lot of people that work for MTN in all our markets, be that South Africa, Nigeria, Ghana, Uganda, Iran, wherever that are brilliant at what they do. And for and and largely we have we we are very good employer and we're generally the top employer employer of choice in all our markets. Um, so you know we attract the local people to us. But by the same token, as I've just described, what I can do with the with this new uh, virtual way of working, where I can buy skills elsewhere in the world. Equally, now what is happening is my the MTN employees can sell their skills anywhere in the world from wherever they are without going anywhere. So, so technically, they could earn three, four times what they're earning with MTN, never leave the country that they're working in, and work for three, four, five different companies in terms of selling specific skill sets that they have. I mean, if I use an example of customer value management, where there's experts who are, who are analyzing customer behavior. Now, we've developed that skill in MTN, and we've got a whole range of people there. But that's a skill that is, is in scarce uh, supply and highly demanded, and these guys can go and work anywhere. They can do this for Google in, 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 the, in the U.S., as an example. So, so we have another challenge, which is why I'm saying the war for talent is picking up so much, to actually uh, make sure that we... We lock in our people, but you can't lock them in in the sense of, you know, you know, hold them or pay them more. You've got to create a sense of why they should want to be with you. And that comes to this thing about purpose. And that's why I think more and more, and we've been talking about this for the last few years, but increasingly and, and much more now, I think companies who understand their sense of purpose, why they're there, how they are making a difference, what they are mean and what they how they attract. Why must this person work for this company? If you can make that, uh, I'll call it EVP, real for people, they will come and join you. They will they will they will allow their skill to be used by you, and that's going to become much more important. And so, to answer your question in a direct way around you know the how do you build local talent in the markets like South Africa and so on. I think it, it, on one level it could become easier because you are you can bring these skill sets from all over without actually landing them here, partner them, coach them, mentor them, whatever, and actually fast track the development of people. I just that's a, a simple way to answer your question. Paul, it seems to me like in the future there's going to be a lot more demanded of the HR profession because. Many of today's business challenges seem to be very people-centric. Um, I mean, we've seen with the COVID-19 pandemic that HR has really had to step into the fore. 
And what I'm wondering is that, do you see a trend in the future where HR leaders like yourself start to step into CEO roles because that is the kind of business leadership that will be required in the future? Yeah, I, I think I think for the reasons that I've mentioned, uh, you know, in some of the earlier uh, answers I've given, I, I think right now, understanding people, being able to create a space where people can bring the best that they can has never been more important than it is today. Through all this disruption, through everything, at the center stage is, uh, you know, people management, how you lead, all of those things. And the HR fraternity is has never been better placed, in my view, than they are now to step into that role. But of course, it's going to depend very much on the HR people themselves and how they translate and become relevant in this new space. Um, and I think here yeah, to the fact that, you know, you, you, you're really going to have to understand uniquely the role that needs to be played. There's a whole uh, leadership with empathy the, that's, that's so critical today. And that's why I said to you, you, you know, uh, health and well-being is the number one global issue today for most, for all companies. So, so if that's the case, then just by virtue of that on its own, there's a role that HR has to play very much as a leadership role. If you think about cultures and how they're going to evolve because of the distance economy uh, and, and, and so on, that's an HR job. If you think about the skills reinvention, the upskilling, the reskilling, all the things we spoke about, that is an HR job. If you think about HR today, uh, and it's what I do here through through MTN, there's a large part of driving technology and making it ready and acceptable to people because it's so much part of what we're doing. And I'm not talking about the technical parts of technology. I'm talking about the tech-savvy parts of being tech. That's what HR has to do. So when you think through all of those things, those are all the key elements of what um, is facing business today. And if HR are experts in those fields, then it leads naturally to the point that says, well, then, you know, HR should, by rights, lead the organization. So I do believe that I think you're going to start seeing HR people stepping into those roles. And I and I mean, I've, there's some people I know globally that have moved into those roles. Uh, in MTN, we have a rate, we have, there's four to five uh, HR heads from countries who are in succession pools for CEO roles. You know, even in my own succession, uh, there are CEOs who are in the succession pool to succeed me, as an example you know, as part of that rotation so that they can feel and understand this part of the business to make them better CEOs. So so that is very much here, and I think uh, HR is well poised, uh, you know, provided that we do the right things to step into those roles. And Paul, just as a parting shot, I'd like to find out what you think is the highest priority for HR going forward. In our conversation today, we've spoken about the various moving parts and considerations that HR functions have to make in order to adapt to an ever-changing scenario uh, that has been brought upon by COVID-19. But now that we've discussed that, what would you say 
is uh, your advice to HR professionals, leaders and organizations in order to prepare their HR functions to be more agile and able to adapt to whatever disruption may come in the future? Uh, probably, as I said, this idea of building um, an, an, an organization that is empathetic um, uh, I, I, and, and that puts well-being of the person at the center, I think that's probably one of the most critical things that we're going to have to think about uh, and how we create a sense of work with meaning, you know, how we, how we help our people to find meaning and purpose and how we can help them to thrive in this time. Um, you know, and that's going to be how we can create an inspiring environment where everybody can activate their whole selves. Um, and I think that's going to be quite, quite critical for us in this space and helping people to, as I say, grow with purpose and be truly uh, future fit ready in this current sort of environment. And on that note, I think we can wrap up. Thank you, Paul, for making yourself available for the CHRO South Africa podcast. I'd also like to thank Workday for sponsoring this series of very interesting conversations with HR leaders. And lastly, I'd like to thank you, our audience, for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the conversation and I look forward to chatting to you again. Yeah, thanks, Sungula. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. This CHROSA podcast is sponsored by Workday, a leading provider of enterprise cloud applications for finance and human resources. Founded in 2005, Workday delivers financial management, human capital management, planning and analytics applications designed for the world's largest companies, educational institutions and government agencies. Organizations ranging from medium-sized businesses to Fortune 50 enterprises have selected Workday. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinion or position of Workday.